0: to our second Facebook Live Ask Me Anything session. Uh, I'm here in my basement. It's a little bit more poorly lit than uh, than my upstairs. Um, so maybe at some point, if it seems a little bit dim, uh, I'll shift over to a space with a little bit more light. But point is you can see me um, and you can ask questions. Thank you for joining me. Um, I'm really excited. Uh, last time we had some really good questions and um, I'm excited to um, to get to your questions this week. Uh, I have several that have been um, asked to me ahead of time uh, so that I can, uh, last time, if, if I learned anything about last time, it was to have some questions prepared so that I'm not just waiting for people to feed questions in the comments. However, if you have a question, please ask it in the comments, and uh, I'll get to that um, uh, as soon as I can. Um, so if I'm in the middle of a question, I'll wait till I finish with that, um, and then I'll, um, I'll get to those when I can. The first question I'd love to address is um, is a question about something called the prosperity gospel, uh, and uh, it, it kind of comes up because our president just named, and I, I raised that, in, I don't want to get political in any way, um, but our president just named someone to his uh, as his faith advisor who is a well-known advocate of the prosperity gospel, and I think it's a very um, relevant topic, not only in, here in the United States but globally. Um, in some of the poorer parts of the world, the prosperity gospel uh, is is a, a very commonly uh, accepted thing because um, obviously if you live in poverty, what you're looking for is for – you're looking for someone powerful to, to raise you up out of poverty. Um, and so a, a, a proof text that a lot of people who advocate the idea of a prosperity gospel go to is found in uh, Paul's uh, epistle, his second epistle to the Corinthians. It's called Second Corinthians, uh, chapter eight, verse nine, and this is something that we never want to do. We never want to just take a verse and yank it out of context and say this proves something. Um, and uh, so the verse that that I'll read to you, Second Corinthians eight nine, goes like this: For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that by his po- so that you by his poverty might become rich and uh it's it's a beautiful passage um that kind of represents uh the this idea of substitution of Christ substituting himself for us, and there's this there's like this transfer that like uh we receive his righteousness that's credited to us um and he's p- uh paying the penalty for our sin on the cross and we see kind of um types and shadows of this like when he's baptized, it's interesting the baptism of jesus Jesus did not need to be baptized. Um, but he did so obedient to um and when he entered the water, uh it's this interesting thing about Jesus is that what he touches he makes clean. So back in those days, when you think about the old testament law, um if if an unclean person touched you, you would become unclean until you did the ceremonial ablutions and, and the ceremonial washing, you would no longer be clean if you were a priest of any sort. Jesus is different because Jesus is perfect and pure and ble- blemishless. Um and so that when he enters the water of baptism um his purity like purifies us and like our sin is is like kind of transmitted to him so that's like a type and a shadow of this idea of substitution that we see here and we and we see um in in that same uh second corinthians uh chapter 5 we see a beautiful line that says god made him who knew no sin uh to, to become sin for us so that um by his righteousness uh i'm actually um butchering it so i'm going to i'm going to actually look it up here because i'm not going to remember it off the top of my head because we're 2 Corinthians 5, it's this beauty of, of substitution. Um, I'm almost there. All this is... um, chapter 5 19, that is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, but entrusting to us. That's not it verse 21 for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of god so that's this idea of of, of this transfer um and uh and so we uh, a lot of people use this this text um as a proof text for the prosperity gospel this idea that christ for your sake became poor so that you by his poverty might become rich um and, and so they use that um, and they say God is is, is a god of, of, of bounty of, of which is something we believe yeah God is absolutely a God of bounty and God is a God who loves to give good give good gifts he's a God who is a good father but is it his desire for us to be rich um, which of course raises all sorts of questions if we're not rich um, what in fact um, why and what prosperity gospels often gospel preachers often teach is that there's some secret sin in your life that you need to uh confess and then god will bless you or oftentimes um they will encourage you to give them money and then god will unlock those blessings um which is a very very dangerous idea um and also think about when jesus um preached his sermon on the mount um that uh he preached all sorts of um he proclaimed blessedness of the poor and the meek and the lowly um that in fact there's there's beauty not beauty there um there's blessing and dignity for them um and um, it just raises the question like is that blessing and dignity in um becoming rich who so often um are people that that jesus uh, criticized and said it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man or a rich person um, to enter the kingdom of god so is it is it god's goal to make us rich to make us to drive us further from him so that it might be harder for us to reach him uh, there are a lot of issues um, uh, with this prosperity gospel, this idea, um, this verse um, talking about becoming rich in him. And um, so we want to uh, always interpret interpret scripture with scripture and compare it with other scriptures. And in the whole of scripture, we have um, God exalting the lowly, um, and his exalting of the lowly isn't necessarily to make them wealthy, Um and Christ, of course, in his, his example, is one of uh, choosing the path of the cross, the path of, 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 of pain and suffering, um, and in fact, uh, really calling us to that. Um, so when he says that, that Christ, by his um, embrace of poverty, might make us rich, what is it that he is trying to convey here in this pac- passage in Second Corinthians? Um, is is it talking about earthly riches or is it a spiritual inheritance on this kingdom of god that that jesus brings that he says is now here is that a a political kingdom we see that no it's not a political kingdom is it a um is it uh bountiful blessings is it so that we might become the 1% of the world um that that seems really unlikely just based on um the entire rest of scripture the entire uh witness of scripture and and i just want to read to you one of my favorite passages um, from the bible which is from paul's letter to the philippians chapter two um and if you have an esv bible which is what i'm reading from uh what what it says here is it says the heading is christ's example of humility and it's a beautiful passage and it says have this mind among yourselves so this is what paul's encouraging you to do have this mind among yourselves which is yours in christ jesus who Though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. Taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and be found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above all, every name, so that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the father. So Paul's saying, Have this in mind to be like Jesus, who though he he was equal to god and and um, was magnified and glorified and was sitting on a throne next to the Father, um took the full humble form of, of a human, took the form of a servant, who left his throne in heaven left all that those riches behind um and and so what I would say is that um uh, that that the uh, prosperity gospel is a very dangerous uh teaching um and and that uh i really like john Wesley's teaching on on wealth um uh he says earn all you can save all you can give all you can and and that's like a three-parter why do you why do you earn all you can and save all you can it's it's so you can give all you can so that like you can use all all things we acknowledge as christians come from god um all, all things um uh, if, if you're, you know, watching this from the United States, we acknowledge that we've kind of won the genetic lottery in that um, uh, many of us have not um, had to face hunger. Um, many of us have had medical, not 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 all of us, but many of us have had adequate medical care. And there's so many people who don't have that. Um, and so what does God call us to in that? Um, and I would argue that God calls us um, to be really, really generous givers. Um, and that the idea isn't uh, to to, um, to follow Jesus so that he would materially bless us. Uh, in fact, we are already materially blessed, you, you and I, most of us. Even if we don't feel necessarily wealthy, we are in the top probably 10% um, of the richest in the world um, just being and living in the United States. Um, and we shouldn't seek wealth. And um, wealth that we acquire, um, as Jesus teaches, it it's one of the things it can do is it can drive us from God. Um, we start trusting in it. We start um, having pride in it. We start um, lusting after more of it. Uh, I, I read a really powerful article in in uh, the Atlantic. It's a a magazine. Um, it was called "Secret uh, Fears of the Super Rich," and it and it did this comprehensive survey of all these people who had, I think, at least ten million dollars, up to a billion dollars, and um, all of them were miserable because, like, until they had maybe. A billion dollars like they would they would never actually be happy um and they felt really insecure about their wealth um because there's this this thing about greed about always wanting more and not not being satisfied with what you have and that's a teaching of scriptures be satisfied with, with what you have um because like whatever you think it is that you'll need to be happy like once you get there um you'll find that that's that's not satisfying on the inside so um so that, that's the first question um uh, that that I answered thank you for everyone who's joined us and is sticking around with us um if you have a question please ask it um in the comments um uh, i just addressed the uh the prosperity gospel um this prevalent teaching um that god wants you to be materially wealthy and that god wants you to be healthy and i guess one thing i should say before i actually close this teaching um is um the apostle paul someone who's kind of famous in the bible he wrote a lot of the bible a lot of the new testament books um and was a, a really um effective apostle um he went to the lord with he he doesn't say what it what it is he said he went to the lord with um second corinthians he talks about this later in second i'm citing that book a lot um he went to the lord three times And asked the Lord to remove what he called a thorn in his side. Um, That there was something that was afflicting him. It may have been a physical pain. It may have been a temptation, a sinful temptation. Um, There was something that was just a daily daily, um, affliction to him. Three times he went to the Lord and he said, "Um, God, please uh, deliver me from this. And um, uh, he heard very clearly from God. Um, and God's answer was, My grace is enough that that you're gonna have to live with this thorn in your side every day. Um, whether it's a sickness, whether it's um uh what whatever that is, um that that like God isn't isn't our um is not always looking to um give us more. Um sometimes he's actually um he kind of like because God is sovereign and God is in control, like. Um, he kind of presides over some really hard things in our life um, and and uh, some really bad things um, that God could clearly take away. Um, and so that's just kind of a hard teaching. So when, when we interpret scripture, we always have to hold things in tension of God's goodness and God's provision for his people. Um, um, so we hold that, we believe that, uh, and we also believe um, that sometimes some hard things are, exist in our lives. Um and uh, we pray for them to, for the Lord to take them away. And the Lord, the answer may be that the Lord um, isn't going to take that away. Um. So if you just join us, um, please uh, leave a question in the comments if you have a question. Um, I'm going to move on uh, to the next question I have that someone asked before we started. Uh, this question is: How do you answer the question of those who do not take the Bible literally? Uh, and this person specified like Noah's Ark is just a story or Jonah and the fish didn't happen, etc. cetera. Uh, and that's a really good question um, because uh, there are parts of the Bible uh, that I think we absolutely should take literally. Um, and uh, there are parts that I think um, we need to read the Bible well. And that's what I always encourage people to do is to, to read the Bible well. Um, and that doesn't mean to always uh, read things literally. Like for instance, um, you know it says that god hardened pharaoh's heart that doesn't mean that god caused the pharaoh to have heart disease but but um but instead so to, to take the bible literally um it does not mean that like well to literally harden your heart that is that a very specific meaning so uh when i say we should read the bible well we should read it um uh, understanding the genre that we're reading so if 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 part of the bible is is supposed to be uh a, a piece of history then we should take that as a piece of history um uh, so we can't um take uh the stories of jesus or the apostles those are books of history um we believe that the bible is authoritative um that the bible is our authority and the reason we believe that um like authority the authority of scripture always goes along with uh its reliability um and we can't necessarily pick and choose those things um and so really good scholars have poured over uh these things and can, and uh in church um, Last Sunday we worshiped, I, um, I shared with you that I, I think it's a really good idea to buy a good study Bible to kind of help you with that, to kind of help at the beginning of a chapter uh, or a book of the Bible. It'll tell you kind of what the genre is um, because there is metaphorical language, and um, we, we talked about um, Genesis and, and Genesis 1 and 2 and 3 and how we do believe that there's an Adam and Eve. Um, however, um, I, I don't believe in a, in a literal six-day creation. And that's because I think when you read the Bible, um, you say, well, what is it that, that Genesis 1 and 2 is trying to convey here? Is it trying to be a book of science? Or is it, tr- is it trying to say the how? Or is it trying to answer the why? Like, why did God create? Um, and um, like, what happened at creation? That that we have the, the the Trinity there, that we have the spirit on the face of the water. Um, and that's what, what the author of Genesis is trying to convey, is that God created everything. Um, and is less interested in saying how. Um, However, like when we get down to the, the story of, of Adam and Eve, that, that story is not conveyed as as a as a piece of poetry or or a metaphor or an allegory. Um uh and same thing, I don't think we have that choice with the book of Job, where we see Job suffering. Um, that doesn't appear to be um like what is it what does the Bible consider itself to be in those particular books? Um, oh, okay. Thank you. I'm I'm getting an indication that I need to, um, uh, I apologize here. Um, I am making this public. Um, uh, sorry, it was only accessible to friends. Thank you for uh, indicating that to me. Um, so, uh, I'm sorry if I missed a, a text about that. Okay. The, it is now open to people who are not friends with me. So thank you for, um, notifying me of that. Um, so, so, so someone asked like, um, about, uh, Noah and, uh, and Jonah. Um, and the Bible doesn't really give us the, the option to say, oh, well, these are um, – this is this just seems so unbelievable that a fish would swallow him and he would be alive in this fish. Um, and and I, I guess what what's interesting to me is that we believe in a God who can create the universe and everything that's in it, and life itself, but can't sustain Jonah inside the belly of a, of a, of a fish. Um, that doesn't seem to be a story of, of morality, but I think that when we read stories from the Bible, like we just need to judge the genre of what, what it is that we're reading, I, and and, what, and um, that's always a really good guide for us. So thank you for that question. That was a really, really good question. Um, here's a really good question um, that, that some of you may not be all that interested in, um, but I, ho- I hope it's interesting to you. Um, and this question is, why do we say the Nicene Creed every Sunday rather than the Apostles' Creed? And I know this comes from someone who was raised Lutheran, and Lutherans commonly say that the Apostles' Creed. So I think a really good question to ask is, like, why do we say any creed? Like, why why is that a thing that we do? Um, people from uh, certain backgrounds, um, especially maybe Baptist backgrounds, really like the idea of doing an altar call, that um, when you present the gospel, um, that you give people an opportunity to respond to that. Um, and I've had people ask me before, like, why don't we have an altar call in our service? And, in fact, I kind of I think we do. Um, I think we have two different ones. We have the creed, which is – immediately following the sermon, where we stand up and we respond. Um, we respond to the service of the word, where we hear um, four readings from Scripture read, and then we hear um, a, a preacher uh, proclaim, uh, give an exhortation, or, or proclaim, um, hopefully with clarity, uh, what, was, um, what was read in, in the readings. And then we, we as the people, um, have a chance to respond to that. Then we, in fact, get to stand up, and we get to recite uh, our faith in the words that go back to the fourth century. Um, which is like a really powerful thing to say that like we are reaffirming the faith that has been handed down after generation after generation. Um, and then we also have, have a second altar call at, at communion um, where we've been called to follow Jesus and we actually get to um, come forward empty handed um, and, and receive um, his body and his blood broken for us. <laughs> Thank you for that question. Why not the Eighth Na- Eighth Athanasian Creed? Um, uh because it's really long and complicated and and it has um has a bunch of uh, anathemas to it um which are never said but yeah, there are actually three creeds that are considered um uh there are three creeds that are considered um sort of acceptable that most traditions say um those that the apostles Athanasian, um and the Nicene creed so so why not the apostles creed um well the apostles creed was was uh, the earliest creed um, and, and, um, there's some traditions that say even, um, so there are 12 lines, 12 statements in it. And some say that, um, on the day of Pentecost, and, and I, I don't think this is true, but like, um, sometimes traditions are handed down, um, and, and are unreliable, sometimes they're reliable. Um, but I think one tradition says that, that each of the 12 apostles on the day of Pentecost, of course, they replaced, um, Judas with Matthias, that each of them wrote one line of the creed. Um, and I mean there's something kind of beautiful to that. And and you know, it's the Apostles' Creed. Uh it's but it's a very basic creed. It's a baptismal creed. And, and in the early church, um, that would accompany baptism is is that would be an affirmation of faith. Um but why do we say the Nicene Creed? Well, um, what is the Nicene Creed? It's uh the, the church, uh the early church dealt with some some heresies, and we don't really like that word today. Um, but uh just some questions of like who Jesus is. What's interesting, if you if you ever had a chance to study these these early um, heresies about Jesus, so wrong teachings, it's interesting that um, in like the eighteenth century, a lot of them kind of came back up under different names. Um, but uh, one of these uh, one of these heresies was something called um, Arianism. Uh, this guy named Arius taught that that um, well, God, if God God is so holy and pure that He would never take human form. So Jesus couldn't have been God if Jesus was fully human. Um, and, and like this, this teaching actually um, gained pretty wide acceptance. And the church had to gather together. They gathered um, all the bishops together to decide, like, what do we, what is it we believe about God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit? Like these things, the you know, the, the Bible doesn't actually use the word Trinity yet, and yet the church was formulating this doctrine of this Trinity of of God, the three and one, and the one and three, and and. Um, that they were all divine, that the god the Father, the Son the Holy Spirit were all divine um and so they had to actually work through this, especially since there was teaching going around um in the church that, that taught that that jesus wasn't divine, that he was um that God would never dignify himself to become a man um and the church wrestled with this and it, and um uh through actually a couple of councils, and at the second council the Constantinopolitan at <laughs> Constantinople um they came out with this this creed which we say today and it's 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 we say it because it's a more full statement of who we believe God is God the Father God the Son God the Holy Spirit um the church um what the Holy Spirit is for us um the Holy Spirit um and um I think as as Trinitarians like uh we have a lot to say about the Holy spirit. And, and so this is a creed that, that, that is, it teaches us as we say it, um, as we respond. And, um, there are times like when we struggle with our faith, um, and we're like, I, I don't, I don't know who I like, I don't know what I believe. And, and we're kind of united with the church as like when we waver, God is strong. Um, and this is something that kind of, when we say it, 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 um, it kind of helps guide us. Um, it gives voice to, um, to this this thing that we've inherited, even when we have doubts from week to week. Um, uh, so, uh, uh, Billy asked, why is Sunday considered the Sabbath? That is a really, really good day. Um, a really good day. It's a really good question, Billy. Thank you. Um, of course, um, when God gave the Ten Commandments to his people, uh, one of them was remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. And, of course, um, th- this day was Saturday. Um um on the 7th day God rested um and that's Saturday. The first day of the week is is Sunday. Um, well, as Church of the Resurrection that's our name, we know that we are Easter people. That we are people uh, we're descendants of, of the resurrection and um and uh everything changed at the resurrection. Um so yeah, we focus on on the death of Christ and like what happened at the cross that that our sins were nailed to the cross. Um but this a uh, really remarkable thing happened at 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 um at the resurrection that like all the powers of hell were defeated. Um the death itself was defeated. Um and um uh so um on the first day of the week, um that being the resurrection, the the day that changed everything that that um like it also changed even the way we count and the way we worship and and the day we worship. And we see this pattern um, in, in Acts that on the first day of the week that they gathered, um, that they gathered, gathered for word and sacrament. So this wasn't just um, – so we see a pattern there. But there's also someone who's read Luke that, that um, sees that even, like, time itself has changed. And I heard a sermon on it once that was really good that I, I couldn't possibly um, recreate for you that just talked about how, like, Um, we like live in this new era of this everlasting Sabbath that like ever since the resurrection, like it is all one day, um, which is kind of mind bending when you ever hear a sermon like that. Um, but it it just argued that like the resurrection, um, just changed just like this ripple in, um, just, uh, in reality. Um, and, um, so, so I mean, very early on the church gathered on Sundays, um, because like that was the day of our Lord's resurrection um and that was something that was passed down um and so we honor um that commandment by um sabbathing on on sunday um oh yeah erica yeah we 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 have a a seventh day adventist here who's um who, who worships on uh maintains the sabbath um uh i don't know erica did i do okay Ooh, um kenny that's a great question how do i feel about kanye's new album uh, i have thoughts on this um i'm not i'm not a kanye west fan um it's it's just like that style of music is, isn't my thing um i actually wrote something about this but i may have deleted it already <laughs> um but i i've never been a big hip hop guy um i it, it grieves me that there's some people that are, are kind of hoping and waiting for Kanye to fail. They're kind of hoping and waiting for, for Kanye to kind of go back to being Kanye um, because Kanye throughout his, his career has been someone who has been a little bit unstable and has um, been so, somewhat narcissistic. And um, even um, back in 2004, 2005, somewhere around there, when he came out with the song, Jesus Walks, um, it wasn't necessarily a profession of faith as much as comparing himself to Jesus um and, and that's kind of been the person that, that Kanye has been. So I haven't actually listened to his album. However, my understanding is that his album is a profession of faith. Um and that's really cool. Um and so here's the thing though, like um becoming a Christian um doesn't immediately change you from being kind of a, a kind of an unstable narcissist immediately. Like we do believe um that God is a God who transforms things. Um, that the Apostle Paul wrote that we are ch- being changed from one degree of glory into another, um, and that's been translated several different ways. In one of our hymns, we talk about changed from glory into glory. that like God is doing that work on us, um, but that is a that is like a slow work that God works on our hearts. And for us to like look at Kanye and and to immediately hope to see like this root so we see this confession of faith and like um some people are like waiting and hoping to for him to kind of be a mouthpiece for christianity while others are um kind of waiting to like be proven right and to be like "Ha, i told you so like i told you this was just a publicity stunt or whatever um and and i don't think we should be that way at all um so I've, i have two two more things i think to say about that and one is um a lot of people compare him to the Apostle Paul, who um, was an early persecutor of the church, who literally killed um, adherents of Christianity. Um, and there's like, see, the Apostle Paul went from an enemy of of, of God to being, you know, this great apostle. Um, like, why would you why would you doubt um, Kanye? Well, um, if if you read um, uh, in, in the New Testament, it's actually not in Acts. I think it's somewhere else that that Paul indicates that um, following his conversion, he went away to Arabia for three years. And we actually don't hear from him much then. Um, and we don't know what he was doing. Um, I have no doubt that he was doing missions work, like door to door, person to person. Um, but he might've been kind of working out his faith. Um, he, might, he might've been using that time to just spend time with the Lord. Um, after all being an enemy of God, like, like how do you, um, I mean, he had a total change of mind, change of heart. But I mean, it takes time to kind of work through that. Um, and so for like, I don't think we should be thrusting Kanye into the spotlight um, too soon. Um, and for those people who are kind of like hoping to be proven right, that like Kanye's uh, professional faith isn't authentic. Um, what I would say to them is like, that's terrible. Uh, one of my favorite um, bo- um, chapters of the Bible is Luke, I think it's Luke 15, uh, where we see uh, Jesus tell three parables. Um, the parable of the lost sheep, parable of the lost coin and the uh, parable of the lost son, which we know uh, as um, the prodigal son. Um, and there's a reason that he tells these in sequence. Um, and actually before he gets to the prodigal son, which is this beautiful – go read Luke 15 if you haven't read it in a while. It's so beautiful. And I think it's Luke 15.10 um, where um, there's a description of rejoicing in heaven at a lost sheep being found um and so if in fact um kanye has had a profession of faith and is a believer now like there is rejoicing in heaven like they like i can't imagine. like this sunday we're gonna celebrate our first birthday as a church we're gonna be celebrating like we are gonna practice celebration it's gonna be great um i can't even imagine what like celebration in heaven is like um at seeing a, a a sinner repent and a sinner come into the fold. Um so let's pray play pray for Kanye. Um uh, pray for him, especially since I thought I saw in the news that he's going to Joel Osteen's church, uh who's a famous uh prosperity gospel preacher. So um let's see. Uh comments, comments, comments. Okay, saw a comment on Kanye. Um so I just uh talked about Kanye a little bit. So I don't. It probably won't let you rewind until, uh, till the end. Ooh, good question, Billy. Do Anglicans re- re- view the apocrypha as biblical? What makes these books different than the standard Bible? Um, and when you put me on the spot like this, uh, I'll probably get. Um, I'll probably like miss out on some of the facts. Um, there's 66 books in the Bible. Does that sound right? Um, well, and we have the Old and New Testaments, and then there's this other set of books. Um, called the Apocrypha um, that the Catholics use um, more commonly. Um, uh, and in fact, we as Anglicans, we affirm them, and, and Lutherans as well, affirm them as like uh, useful for teaching. Like they, they have their use, but we don't view them as scripture. So they don't have that authority that scripture has. Um, but it's interesting. Like I just ran into someone who goes to a non-denominational, non-denominational church that just bought a Bible with the Apocrypha because they're like – there's like hundreds of years missing in this intertestamental period that we don't have. Um, and, and they've encountered like references to the Apocrypha, um, in, in various places. So they're like, I want to buy this thing and read it. Like, even if I know it's not scripture, it can still be helpful for, um, for teaching and for, for my own discipleship. And in fact, today, this morning, this arrived at my door. I bought a Bible. with I had never had a copy of the Bible with the Apocrypha and I am poorly read in it. Uh, but in our daily, um, in our morning and evening prayer lectionary, which has uh, readings assigned for each day, uh, we have Apocrypha readings coming up in December. So now I have a way to do that without googling that reading. Um, so uh, I, I'm really looking forward to to getting uh, getting um, getting to know the Apocrypha a little bit better, um, also with the understanding that it's not scripture. Um, and when when someone asked about the creeds, I didn't say this that we have we have this liturgy of morning and evening prayer. Um, that the Apostles' Creed is included in that. Um, so in daily prayer, we, we say the Apostles' Creed, and then on Sunday corporately, we uh, we say the Nicene Creed. Hi, Ashley. It is really cool to hear from you. Um, <laughs> uh, thanks for asking a question. Holy cow! It's ah, uh, it's just really, really cool to, to um, to have you uh, ask a question. I haven't seen you in a long time. Uh, politics and pastoral teaching, um, something I'm really uncomfortable with. Um, There's some people who really, some pastors who really embrace politics. Um, and I think there are two issues with that. Um, the one kind of has goes back to, you ever uh, hear uh, Michael Jordan um, uh, talk about um, yeah, what he, what he said is Republicans buy shoes too. Which is why he didn't talk politics is he wanted to sell shoes um and so there's there's that element in that politics is so um what's the word I'm looking for um, like when it comes up it immediately um kind of separates people um it's like a litmus test almost like um and if you fall on the wrong side like you you lose the chance to to really impact, like, half – like, we're a split country. Um, and um, so do you really want to lose your influence with, with, like, half the country by by embracing politics? Um, and the other thing – and so some people are like, well, this cause is so important. And so there there's certain causes, like um, uh, the rights of the unborn, that I think are really important, that, that the church needs to be, um, speak out on. But when we start supporting political parties, um, that, that becomes really, really dangerous, because political parties um, – they operate with different goals than than we do. Um, And their goals, and I hate to sound cynical, but their goals are to stay in power. And um, so when we throw in with one political party, um, oftentimes we don't realize that they're using us um, rather than us actually using them to to reach our means. Um, So I think we should absolutely be involved in politics, um, issues that we care about. I think we uh we should care for the unborn i think we should care for all people for the humanity of all people i think um i mean it's interesting that um immigration has become a political issue um and uh and somehow christians are coming kind of coming uh out kind of really very much against maybe uh accepting refugees um and like the bible speaks very strongly about um you know god speaking to his people israel um, and I don't have it's in front of me. I I remember when I addressed it, like I I did a teaching on this recently. Um, maybe it was in a sermon <laughs> uh, on like God telling His people, like 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 there was provisions in the law for like leaving grain at the the gleanings at the end of the edge of the field um, to provide for those who didn't have means. Provided for the widow and the orphan and the sojourner, um, for refugees. There's provision because God said you were once sojourners. Um, you were once refugees in Egypt. Um, you were slaves, and I freed you, and I gave you a land. Um, one, and so like the New Testament analog to that um, is in First Peter. Once we, you were not a people, and now you are a people. And of course this gets back to the first question of of um, the prosperity gospel is that um, once you were not a people, now you are a people. Like that's not a prosperous thing. That's like God's kingdom of like spiritual blessings that he's given to us, that he is um, – That he has grafted us into his vine, that he's called us his own, that through our baptism that we are united with Jesus Christ, and that we are called as children, and we are heirs. Um, And that's all biblical language, that we are heirs of of this inheritance, Um, just by by pure merit of being grafted into the vine, by being part of God's family. Um, So just be dangerous. uh, Just be be careful. Like Advocate humanitarian causes, um, but be careful when you associate too closely with one party or another. Um, and and understand like what it is that parties exist to do um from a historical perspective specifically uh, okay yeah um i don't think it should always be avoided um but like there are christians who like protest um abortion clinics they protest them and in fact um they they demonize women who seek abortions and I, i think that's I don't think that's what we should be doing um i think we should be praying for those women um who feel like they have no other option than to seek abortion um we should offer um to adopted children uh the early church uh in the roman empire was was known um for adopting abandoned kids That that abortion existed back then like they would like take kids to the dump and leave them there and christians were known for being like all right you're part of our family now like god god like grabbed me and, and said you're part of my family and we do that for others. Um, and so like, we wanna seek God's heart, God's heart for the lowly, for the widow and the orphan um, uh, uh, without um, becoming like partisan in our politics. Um, we should advocate biblical values without um, saying like one side or another is is kind of polarizing. That's the word I was looking for. Thank you, Erica. I should read these comments, it's polarizing. Um, all right. Thank you for, these are really good questions. Um, I, I um, And, and I'll, I'll keep an eye on, on that, but I also have um, some other questions here um, that people asked ahead of time. What is the answer for the growing anti-Christian culture of the United States? How do we reach generations of people that only see religion as boring and entertainment as life-giving? Um, and then he rephrased this question. It's funny because this is someone at our church who just took three days, three vacation days to go to a monastery um, and spent time in silence and, and reading and praying. Um, so how, uh, that's a really good question. Um, and I think uh, I'll deal with the second one first. Sorry, I got to drink some water. Um, talking for 40 minutes straight kind of wears on my voice. Um, how do you tell people you spent three days of your vacation in a monastery in silence reading and praying? I think you tell them that Um, I think uh, I think so many people are seeking meaning in their life Um, I think so many people are seeking connection in their life I think so many people are seeking um, not just meaning but like spiritual meaning like like transcendence like asking the question why or um, like those are really good questions and um, those are things that entertainment can't answer i mean that can kind of dull the edge um but there's (laughs) like yeah you can get by a little bit but with entertainment but like there are times in the middle of the night when you consider the universe when when like uh, a little bit more um netflix or or video games or partying or whatever whatever we consider entertainment um like that's that's just insufficient um and I, I just think that that we can be open and should be open about the ways that God has um, given our lives meaning. Um, that God has given us uh, answers. Um, the Bible has given us answers. That, that that is, in fact, a really good witness to the world. To be like, uh, like I was really having a hard time this month and I, I took three days off and I went and I prayed. Um, and I mean, we could even share things that like God said to you in your prayer. Or you could share that like, I prayed and I prayed and it was really hard. Um, and I realized these things about myself or about God. Um, and, uh, I, I just think, um, that only good things can come from honesty and openness, um, and just sharing what the Lord has done for you. I mean, I mean that's more powerful than anything. Um, uh, for those of you who, who are, are tuned in, um, I don't know who specifically is tuned in right now, but if you're a believer, um, I would love, for, uh, <laughs> I referenced first Peter earlier, um, Peter encourages us to always have have a reason, um, always have, always be ready to give a reason for the hope that we have in us. Um, that that we should always be be ready to to share like what the Lord has done, um, both in an elevator pitch and in a lengthier if if, if someone is a little bit more curious. Um, and like we don't need to be um, a tedious person about it. Um, that we can just be a friend and be open and honest about our struggles and how the Lord has helped us through those. Um, and so, but the first part is, uh, what is the answer for the growing anti-christian culture in the United States? How do we reach generations of people that only see religion as boring and entertainment as life-giving? Um, I, think, um, I think we do this relationally. Like, I think the expectation today um, is that uh, if someone is unchurched, it's that they're probably hostile to the church and they don't understand what it is um, that, that, uh, that motivates us, like what it, what it is that we believe. Um, I think there are a lot of misconceptions, Um, and in fact, like, I hope that um, even these Facebook live sessions I'm doing each month um, are just a chance for people to, like, peer in and see, like, what are we all about? Um, We don't profess, we don't pretend to have all the answers, um, uh, but we believe that God has spoken, that God has spoken authoritatively in a once and for all way in scripture, Um, and uh, again, this isn't a a prideful or arrogant thing, but, but just a um, we, we were searching for answers too, and God found us. Um, and and in those words of scripture, we have found life and light and meaning and purpose. Um and so in our church values, we talk about uh we have five different values. The first value is that we have a new identity in Jesus Christ. Um, and identity is kind of a kind of a big issue in our culture today. Like who are we? Um are we what we do? Are are we is our identity um is that set in in our job in our, in 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 what we do? I'm a truck driver. I'm a farmer. I'm a um, janitor. I'm a teacher. I'm a lawyer. Is that who you are? Um, or if you've ever been abused, sometimes your identity can be um, what's been done to you, or what's been said to you, and that can become your identity. But in Jesus Christ, um, He gives us a new identity that, like, um, He is our identity. In fact, that that like we are His beloved children. Um, and that in Him we have a new identity, and because of that new identity, we have a new purpose. Um, and our and our new purpose um, is to is to uh, to love um, our neighbor as ourself, to love God and to love our neighbor. Um, and um, what better better way to serve God than to than to like fulfill that great commission of just like relationally building relationships with people far from God. So if you are a believer who's who's watching tonight, I hope that that you are that the Holy Spirit places a burden on your heart um, to build relationships with people who don't know Jesus. Just like be a friend. Um, You don't need to be tedious. Uh, You don't need to always bring up Jesus. Um, I think uh, God will give you opportunities to have those conversations. Um, But if they know you as uh, obviously at some point they're going to find out you're a Christian. Um, But if they know you first as a good neighbor, as someone who is friendly and can help them um, when they need help, um, in their time of crisis, um, like, God may provide an opportunity um, for, for a deeper conversation. Um, but you can't do that unless you build those relationships. And, and, and unless you kind of, I think we need to assume that people have hostility. And if we can build down the hostility, they may say, and I've said this a bunch of times, some of you may have heard this, but um, they may say things about Christians in general. They may be like, well, Christians in general are this. But my friend, Billy, Erica, Ashley, um, that these people, they're they are not like that. Like, in fact, they're really good neighbors and they're loving and caring. And they would give me the shirt off their back. Um, and I hope they they would say that about us. Because um, we believe that when we do that work of outreach um, to people who don't know Jesus, um, that we are continuing a conversation that God has already started. That God has started a conversation with them. We're coming in somewhere in that and and uh we hope that we can um direct them, point them to Jesus um and hopefully actually be present at at, at um at them becoming a disciple. Um but it's also possible that um that uh, we may just be preparing uh them for another conversation with someone else who does that work of outreach, of of loving them as their, you know, loving their neighbor as their, themselves. Reading comments here. Uh, how do you avoid someone using God as a tool for personal gain? For example, only praying when you need something, but not having a true relationship with Him. So I think there's two parts to your question, Billy. How do you avoid using God this way? Or how do you help someone stop this? And those are kind of two different questions. Um, how do we avoid it personally? Being someone who uses God as like a good luck charm, uh, like when you run the red light and you see, <laughs> and you see the cop there, and you're like, "Oh Lord, please, <laughs> like let them not pull me over." Um, I would say uh, the the way that we avoid doing that is is to be people of prayer, to be people who go to God. Um, and uh, I'm sure you've you've heard um, the form of prayer described before, that ACTS form of prayer: um, adoration. Confession, Thanksgiving, Supplication, and so not only in that order, but um, yeah, in, in that order, like that, that we spend time praying to God and simply adoring Him and who He is and and um praising Him. If and if you read through the Psalms, you see a lot of that of of praising God for who He is. Um, the prayer isn't just like we go to God when we need things, but it's, it's it can be worship. Um, and, and to use the Psalms as our prayer book, as kind of as Jesus did. The Psalms were kind of Jesus' prayer book. Um, and we, of course, we confess our sins, and that, and that reminds us of who we are in relation to God, and, and, like, who he is, and, and who we are not. Um, and then we give thanks for all the things that we have. Um, and one of the most impactful books I ever read was, um, Tim Keller's book on prayer, and kind of the thesis of it is that, like, what he found is that when he prayed regularly, when he made a habit of praying daily multiple times a day with that form, uh, by the time he got through adoration and confession and thanksgiving, but especially that adoration and thanksgiving, like God, you are great. And thank you for all these things. By the time he actually got to those supplications to praying to the Lord for things to, to like, Lord, please do this, please do that. um, Suddenly those things seemed very small, like because through the process of prayer, um, he was able to just, um, be so in awe of who God is. Um, and, and just that awe and worship, um, changed his heart, um, to be a person less being like, God, do this thing for me and being like, you know what? That's fine. I'm good. God, because I'm good. Because I have you, um, I have you as my loving father. Um, and so that, that was a really helpful thing for me to read. Um, and so I, I would say, I would just, uh, start with yourself, um, and then encourage others. Um, I don't think we can correct others to be like, yeah, stop praying for like, god to help you of course god wants to help us like that's that's why he um he said you know anything you ask in my name i'll give to you like jesus is like he's a he's a loving friend um in the book of john you know we see both that passage and also like i call you friends when he's talking to his disciples ask anything in my name and i'll give it to you like i want to give you good things um so i'm looking through yeah hello samuel i hope you're still here um long time no see hope to see you soon samuel um uh please if you have a question ask in the comments um i've got some other ones written down here um i had some written down here and then i restarted my computer it'll take me a second to find it Uh, earlier today I'll just oops click here We're, and we are approaching the end near, uh, the end of our time oops. if you're just tuning in right now this must be hilarious um So I have a bunch of questions written down here. Um, Questions about the Holy Spirit. Um, Our miraculous gifts for today. Um, That's a really good question, a question that I love. Um, We believe in in God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And and um, many of us read, read uh, the book of Acts and we see the Spirit act in, in amazing and miraculous ways. And some Christians have looked at that and said, well, that was just like, eh, it's at the beginning. And um, But there's no teaching in Scripture that says like this Holy Spirit acted in a specific way during a very narrow period of time and no longer acts like that. And in fact, if you read um, testimonies of of people that that actually know who have witnessed um, some pretty impressive I mean, just amazing miracles, um, in front of their very eyes. Um, and so for us to say that like God is doing that is, is I think really, um, just like improper, um, that the Holy Spirit, this like breath of God, um, that, that Jesus, um, when he was near the end of his earthly ministry and he's like, he says to his disciples, it is good for me to go away because until I go away, I can't send my spirit to you. And it's like, Can you imagine walking with Jesus and watching him turn water into wine, watching him um, make the blind see and the lame walk? Can you imagine watching him turn five loaves of bread into enough to feed 5,000? Can you imagine that and hear him say like, it's good for me to go away because I'm going to send my spirit to you. Like what? Like this must be a pretty, pretty like amazing helper that he's giving us. And then we see it's powerful works in, in, in the book of acts like amazing stuff like we see resurrections we see um you know one of my favorite passages in acts like we see paul preaching into the night and someone falls out a window and dies because he's preaching so long that he made someone fall asleep that's something i've never done and the apostle paul did that and i've never made someone fall asleep and fall out a window and die um but the holy spirit brought that person back to life and when we see paul himself get beaten probably to death um it's not clear if it's to death we see the holy spirit revive him um he was thrown out of the city and left for dead. Um, we see uh, all these amazing things. And to say that God has cut off that sort of power? No, I don't think so. I th- I think um, maybe the abuses or maybe um, some of the ways that people who are Pentecostal are charismatic, um, uh, just to be delicate, um, I consider myself charismatic. Um, but I-, I think maybe some of the way that maybe they they use the spirit um or talk about it can be unhelpful and gives it a bad name but like let's embrace the 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 full gifts of the holy spirit um because we're dependent on the holy spirit for everything for illuminating our reading of scripture um we count on the holy spirit in in that, that powerful work of outreach um to do that work to soften hearts um we count on the holy spirit for for everything so let's um let's not neglect that Shaking the world. Sorry, what is the role of the Holy Spirit? Ah, okay. I feel like I somewhat addressed that. Kenny, I've noticed that the Ang- Anglican Church kiddos aren't receiving communion, but instead receive a blessing. Oh, that's a really good question. At what age can kids receive communion? Is this like Catholic communion? Um, that's a really good question. Um, because in Holy Communion, like we believe that Jesus is present. Um, he's present in a very special way for us that feeds us spiritually that it's like part of christian life is partaking in this and paul wrote in first corinthians that he says is it not a participation with jesus a participation that we are participating with the body and blood of jesus christ in in when we uh, take communion and um, um so this is not something that we want to like keep from people um it's, it's like one of his the ways that like uh he feeds us spiritually um and so you'll notice that there is one um so so one there are very few requirements for communion one of them is baptism you need to be baptized um to receive communion um, and you also need to be kind of at peace. There are a lot of warnings in first corinthians I don't know if it's chapter nine right around there eight nine ten um, where we have warnings like about discerning the body um if that if you do if you take communion without discerning the body that you are um I shouldn't butcher this. Uh, let me find it so I don't. First Corinthians eleven, which of course, like you don't need to rewind it. That's totally what I said. I said First Corinthians eleven, um, and there there are warnings about it. Um, says, whoever therefore, uh, this is starting in verse 27, whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. He'll be guilty. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. This is why so many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. Whew. Um, So, I mean, those are some pretty certain warnings, and in some traditions, um, the warnings they give before communion are so severe that no sane person would ever want to come and receive communion, Um, which is why I love our prayer of humble access that we say uh, before Holy Communion. Um, It's a beautiful thing, and so I don't butcher it. Um, I'm going to pull it up here and hopefully not shake the world with my typing. Our prayer of humble acts is what we pray before we come forward um, to receive communion. And it's a wonderful reminder of, like, our status. Um, And we say this. We say, um, We do not presume to come to this your table, O merciful Lord, trusting in our own righteousness, but in your abundant and great mercies. We are not worthy so much as to gather up the crumbs under your table, but you are the same Lord whose character is always to have mercy. Um, And it goes on from there. But the the, the point is that, like, we believe that these are good gifts. And yeah, there are warnings about it, um, but no one—no one ever takes it because they're worthy. Um, so, for so, like, confess your sins, make peace with those around you, and come forward and receive communion, and that feeds us. Um, so, the question: How does this relate to children? Well, there's the question of like, how well are they able to discern the body? How well are they able to um, examine themselves um, before they come forward for communion? So, uh, some of you may know that like. The church is this global thing throughout history um and and many of us are americans and and so but the second largest church in the world is the eastern orthodox church and in the eastern orthodox church they they give all babies communion they're like why would we deny the lord's body and blood in the spiritual way like why would we deny this to our kids if this nourishes them spiritually well, of course we're going to give it to them um and then, on the other side, like you have Catholics who at a certain age like you do your first communion um and so um if you've noticed, we actually have one baby in our church that received communion um and so if you would like River to receive communion, River is welcome to receive communion um but we want we want to be able to read those warnings and be like ah, like is it is like is is this a good thing like is is he able to discern this um uh my both my children are baptized they don't receive communion yet um and it's not because i'm waiting for a certain age um it's it's, i'm waiting for kind of a certain understanding um and so i guess just to get really personal like um uh it it makes me kind of upset that jordan doesn't want it that she doesn't want uh, to receive communion like she hasn't asked um and so like i've started to initiate that conversation with her to be like let's talk about this like you believe this stuff um uh, and so I kind of feel like it's on me. So it's not like there's a certain age. Um, I think it's really good that kids like ask them and they want to be, be participants uh, in this and there's no like, there's no barrier as long as you're a baptized Christian who who um, who, who believes these things that like you've been baptized into. So um, that's a really good question. It's, it's kind of complicated and there are different kind of traditions even within our global denomination um, uh, and there are different kind of practices. Um, but there's, um, basically, I have a conversation with the parents. Parents are like, hey, I'd like my kid to start receiving. And so I, um, so I don't know, a year and a half ago, there's, there's a family who had, who had a, a second grader who, who wanted to partake. And I was like, let me, let me come over to your house and like, let's talk about this. I want to I just make sure he understands like what's happening here. Um, and we had that conversation. So we are right at, at an hour Um Thank you for all your really good questions. If we have one kind of last one, I'd, I'd be happy to tackle it. Otherwise, um, I'll be back again next month. Um, if you're just tuning in, um, I'm going to post this on, on my page and, um, hopefully you can watch it and get something out of it. You can read through, um, the comments and see the questions that were asked. Um, I hope this was fruitful for you. Um, I always enjoy it. Uh, I love kind of sharing the things that, um, the, the, the ways that God has nourished me and, um, I want to share that as as well as I can um, so uh, thanks for tuning in um and I'll see you again in a month. Good night.